I'm Don DeLorente. I'm Dee Dee Janae. I'm Magnum Prime. And we're the host of the WrestleCast. You can catch us right here on the CSPN each and every Friday as we provide your pro wrestling commentary with color. The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, and I'm back with my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. It's been a while. Um, life happens, but I'm glad to be back. Yeah, man. Feels good to be back talking sports here on the CSPN. You can find Know the Score at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. So please download, subscribe, rate, and review. All right, Dwayne, so we just had Thanksgiving weekend. I hope everything was good for you, your family, everybody was doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, this is the, you know, big rivalry weekend for college football where, you know, the the last chance for some of these teams who are in the playoffs to get knocked off or, you know, get into these championship games for these conferences occur. So, of course, the big one this past Saturday took place where Ohio State knocked off Michigan 62 to 39. Oh, 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 oh. That was a beat them down of epic proportions that nobody saw coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this was a all I heard from, especially from the Maze Blue contingent, how they were ready for this game and how this felt like a different year. Everybody was so hyped and let's just say by by the end of the game I did not hear a peep out of anybody. They, they acted like this game never existed. So yeah, this was just a Ohio State is kind of just like the whole death taxes in Ohio State beating Michigan. And until we thought this would be the year that Michigan, who came in with probably the top, one of the top defenses in the country, if not the number one defense in the country, I might be wrong on that, but. Ohio State just dominated them on all um, on all uh, parts of the defensive side, running, passing, and obviously on the scoreboard, and and uh, pretty much uh, wrecked Michigan State. Uh, not Michigan State, but Michigan's hopes for uh, college football playoff. And even though they got blown out to at Purdue and West Lafayette, they're right in the mix for. That uh, covered a four spot in the college football playoff, and we should see what happens when they play Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. Um, it's really going to boil down to um, 
Oklahoma, Ohio State, and and uh, possibly Georgia. Um, even though I don't think Georgia would probably get that at large, or even UCF, even so, um, this was just a tough, uh, tough game for Michigan. Uh, but a great season nonetheless. But uh, now, at this point, you know you gotta you gotta beat the rival, and if you'll beat the rival, um, you know it seems like every other game has been a failure. But they can't look at it that way. Yeah. Once again, uh, Michigan just gets uh, to this part of their, their season and. Uh, it, you know, all their dreams and hopes just come crashing down. This is weird because it just shows you the nature of football and how it's so week to week. Because Ohio State looked dreadful against Maryland, their defense, even though they did give up 39 points in this game, looked even worse against Maryland. Their offense looked, you know, shaky at best against Maryland, and then they come out in this game. And it's not good weather, it's cold, it's raining, it's damp, and they are just moving the ball up and down the field on Michigan and getting in the red zone and putting up touchdowns. It, it was amazing. Yeah, and then, and then, um, and now, you know, kind of had a nice little playful debate with uh, uh, with one of my favorite Ohio State people, I don't have that many, but, uh, um, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the last year playing all that, how that worked out for him. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see how uh, things play out championship weekend and go from there. We had the number one team in all the land, the Alabama Clemson Tide, defeat the Auburn Tigers 52-21. to at least for a half, this was a pretty entertaining and close football game. It was. Uh, Auburn used a little trickery to pull it within 17-14 at halftime. And then Alabama hit the nitrous in the third quarter. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was all she wrote after that. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And... And, um, you know, I was looking at this game, keeping an eye on it at work, and I was like, okay, this might be pretty interesting. I know rivalry games, you throw all the numbers and stats out the window, and then the next thing I know, next thing I know, it's uh, a completely different ball game. So, yeah, it's, um, it's not really what I expected in terms of um, – you know, Ohio, I mean, Ohio State, but um, in, um, Alabama, is this the end of the Gus Mills on air at Auburn? Who knows? Um, at one point, Auburn was looking like a top 10 team, and then I don't know what happened down the stretch. I don't know if injuries came into play or just um, better teams that came across, but you know, Alabama's just on a whole other level, especially with uh, uh, Tua quarterback. And, and um, you know, when they finally, for years, it looked like the defense carried this team and the offense just had to do just enough to win. But now with the offense matching that defense intensity, it's, 
it's how do you stop these guys? And, and uh, you know, Georgia, we thought Georgia had the formula. Uh, Georgia did have the formula until um, last year. We saw the championship game. And uh, I don't know if they're going to have the formula in Atlanta. We shall see uh, when that SEC championship game comes around. But it's going to be very tough down the stretch for for uh, anybody that plays Alabama. Georgia was so good that they created this beast because they were so good, they yanked Jalen Hurts to put into it to even make this, what you're seeing right now, even a thought in anybody's mind, let alone the reality that it is currently. So they'll have a chance to slay their own creation coming up this Saturday. But Clemson... They beat in-state rival South Carolina. Again, another game that was pretty close in the first half, giving Clemson a good run. I mean, South Carolina scored 28 points in the first half. But in the second half, Clemson scored 28 more points, and South Carolina only scored seven. So they were victorious, 56-35. to Another good game by Trevor Lawrence. And uh, the running back, I cannot pronounce his name to save my life, Uh, Etni. He set a school record with his 19th touchdown this season. Man, he is the truth. He is so fast. So Clemson keeps rolling. Uh, They're going to be headed to Charlotte to play in the ACC championship game versus Pittsburgh. So with uh, the last time uh, Pittsburgh and and Clemson played late in the season, Pittsburgh won on a field goal. Walk-off field goal, so we'll see what happens this time for the ACC championship. All right. The uh, fourth team that was in the top four heading into the uh, weekend, Notre Dame, they survived an upset bid from USC, 24-17. to They got down early, uh, but they persevered and they hung on for a victory in the end, made some plays there in the second half. And the one team that we know that will more than likely be in the playoff championship race, the final four, whatever you want to call it, playoff four, is Notre Dame. So, Dwayne, your nightmare has come true. It's a reality. Notre Dame is going to have a chance to win a national championship this year. Well, I mean... Shout out to Notre Dame. I give them credit. And what we need to give them credit for is the fact that they have a good offense. They have a great defense. And they did exactly what they need to do to get into this uh, uh, college football playoff. Um, You know, credit where it's due. Um, And most likely, I mean, if Clemson survives Pitt, they'll most likely get Clemson. In the um, in the effort in that semifinal, and then um, you know we'll see how things play out from there. Of course, you just gotta wait till um, Saturday. You know, I think Clemson might still be able to have a shot at the title, win or lose. Um, but uh, it'll just depend on when on that Notre Dame will most likely be a two or a three seed going into the South Castle Wall playoff. The Georgia Bulldogs, 
they beat down Georgia Tech 45 to 21. So they, you know, like we said before, get a, a rematch to go up against Alabama in the SEC championship game, a game that they won last year. So we'll see if they can defend their title. And out in the Big 12, Oklahoma, they outlasted West Virginia 59-56. So it keeps their faint playoff hopes alive as if, you know, Michigan now is the team that's going to be knocked out, more than likely replaced by Georgia. And then there becomes the debate as if, you know, Alabama defeats Georgia and let's say it's a blowout, let's say it's not close, then does Georgia become the team that's out? And then now all of a sudden it's a Royal Rumble between Oklahoma, Ohio State to get into that and maybe Central Florida to get into that. That's what I was going to say too. Don't forget UCF. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Undefeated. Yeah, that, that, that very last playoff spot. So, Um, It would really be a bad look, I think, for Central Florida, though, because, I mean, their quarterback just got carted off this past game. Yeah, so, I mean, they wouldn't be coming into the playoff at full strength. But, you know, stranger things have happened. And, you know, there's a very good chance that this Alabama team could just go, you know, nuclear again and put up a 50 spot on a very good Georgia team, very good Georgia defense. And then, you know, chaos ensues. So. Just going to have to see how these championship games play out. Again, we'll review those games. It's going to be Alabama versus Georgia in the SEC, Ohio State versus Northwestern in the Big Ten, Oklahoma versus Texas in the Big 12, and Clemson versus Pitt in the ACC. Yeah. So, um, Just some coaching carousel news before we move on from college football. Uh, it looks like Les Miles is coming back to coaching. It looks like he is going to become the coach of Kansas. And the yeah. University of North Carolina fired Larry Fedora. And the rumors are they're going to hire Mac Brown again. And Mac Brown's going to try to put together um, a package with himself, Cliff Kingsbury, who recently got fired from Texas Tech as offensive coordinator. And Gene Chizik, who was the defensive coordinator at North Carolina three seasons ago, but had to step down due to health uh, issues in his family. And then he went on to do television for ESPN. So he's trying to come in reportedly with that package and uh, yeah. he will take over for uh, Larry Fedora. Now, I did not think that North Carolina would be in the business of paying uh, Larry Fedora $12 million not to do anything because he had – uh, four years at $3 million left on his contract still. But I think that if you saw the end of the North Carolina NC State game, there's a big brawl that broke out between the teams. Yeah. NC State scored yeah. the winning touchdown in, in overtime. Yeah. And with the back to back two and nine seasons, I just think it just didn't look good in front of their home, in front of the North Carolina home crowd. And I just think, you know, right then it was probably like, you know, he probably could have made it through this season just due to the money factor. But I think they were ready to just say, okay, let's, let's just start over. But, wow, starting over with Mac Brown is, is, is something else, man. All right. <laughs> he hadn't coached in six right. years, and it wasn't that good when he, you know, stepped down oh, from yeah. Texas. So, Yeah. And I think, yeah, with that whole uh, Matt Brown situation, never, you know, you never know. Just so that you never know. Never know when that – 
you have to go back across that bridge. So, uh, you know, Mac Brown, we, you know, he had a good gig going at ESPN, but um, I think he was ready to get back into coaching. And and um, while nobody else really called, I think going back to North Carolina would be best for him and the program. Uh, you know, if he does get uh, Kingsbury to come in as his OC, that will definitely bring a whole dynamic to the ACC in terms of PBL with Clemson and NC State and and um, those those kind of schools. And then with the Kansas hire, Les Miles, I mean, either it's going to go one or two ways. Either it's going to be really successful. Uh, Les, if Les Miles can get the get the uh, meter moving in terms of the offense at Kansas because the Big 12 is offensive league. I mean, it's pretty much 7-on-7. Seven seven. So, um, and if he tries to slow it, if he tries to put the SEC style of play in the Big 12, uh, it might turn into a Charlie Wise situation. I think that's what Charlie Wise tried to do uh, when he was at Kansas, try to slow it down, and he got eight alive. And for the last 10 years, uh, Kansas football has pretty much been a black hole in that whole athletic department, especially with, you know, the being one of the top five basketball programs ever. And, and the football team who hasn't had a good season in 10 years when they went, or 11 years when they went to the Orange Bowl under um, Mark Mangino. And... I mean, you got Turner Gill, which didn't work. Charlie Wise didn't work. Um, David Beatty didn't work. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. And we'll just see if Les uh, can adapt to this current Big 12 or he is he going to perish. All right. So that's college football for this week. We'll transition over to the NBA where Jimmy Butler, he finally got traded, and he got traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, initially, I didn't think this move was very good because Philly has been struggling with, guess what, shooting the ball because they made J.J. Reddick go to the bench so they could play Markel Fultz, and now you play Markel Fultz with Ben Simmons, and you got two out of your five guys on the court who can't shoot a jumper. Right. So they trade Sarge and uh, who can shoot? Yeah, who can shoot? And so you know, <laughs> and they, Robert Covington, yeah, who can also yeah, shoot. Robert Covington, who can shoot and play a little defense. So now you get Jimmy Butler back in return. Um, Markel Folks is his own saga still, um, as you know, he's had some evaluations on you know his wrist coming up here in the past couple of days that everybody seemed kind of caught off guard by, but. You know, Jimmy Butler's hit two game winners in the time that he's been there in Philly. So, like me, were you kind of curious when this trade was made and and, and who got traded for Philly, considering, you know, what their obvious weakness is and continues to be? Absolutely. I was curious. I was, I kind of saw this and scratched my head, like, how is this going to benefit the Philadelphia 76ers going forward? I mean, 
Yes, Jimmy Butler does have that intensity. He does have that um, leadership that this team probably does need. They probably do need another veteran voice who has um, seen, uh, aside from J.J. Reddick, who has seen um, uh, playoff, uh, who has seen the playoffs before. Um I don't know if it's good for the psyche of Markel Fultz. I mean, we've already seen how that's gone over the last couple, uh, last season and uh, quarter right now. Um, and I, I looked at this and I saw Sarge. Kobe didn't really come to me until after I looked at the trade a little bit more. And I was like, wait a minute, you lose your three, you lose your top three point shooter. You lose a guy who can shoot inside and out. And then, do I think the Sixers did a little too much to get Jimmy Butler? Yes. Um, do I think they'll be okay, though? Yes. They will find a way for it to work. Um, I think Jimmy Butler has already kind of spoken out about the differences between um, playing on the Sixers and uh, his time in Minnesota, he's already alluded to the fact that, hey, you know, I can tell these guys, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, and they won't get upset about it. So, kind of just alludes to what was going on in Minnesota. Pretty much, he could not get um, Towns or Wiggins to uh, essentially cooperate with him. So, um but I think this trade, this was a trade that I thought Miami had the best deal for Minnesota. Um, that did not go through. And I think that's kind of definitely on top of it, who thought he could convince Jimmy Butler that he could stay and work it out. And we see that did not work out at all. So Tibbs, could, Tibbs' job could be on the line as a result of this. Yeah, definitely for sure. He overplayed his hand. He he should have right when he came into that practice and basically, you know, mooned everybody with his actions. He should have been traded within the next three days. But, you know, he's trying to, you know, because, again, when you're the coach and you're the general manager or, or team president or whatever basketball operations director, whatever title, that other title you get, you get onto, it starts to cloud up your basketball, you know, your, your coaching. You know what I'm saying? Right. You want to you want to stay the coach because if you stay the coach, then you get to stay the team president or you know whatever. And it's so you know that's the only thing he was thinking about. Hey, I need Jimmy Butler to make the playoffs because he's really right about my guys, <laughs> my other two guys. Right. And, and and if I don't make the playoffs, I might not get you know retained. And so thus that's the reason why he was trying to hold on so long for some blow away deal or last minute, you know, reversal of fortune by Jimmy Butler. But, you know, at least for the Timberwolves sake, you know, call Anthony Towns for his own psyche and his own respectability has played a lot better right. um, since Jimmy Butler has not been there. Now, uh, Andrew Wiggins, uh, that's a little bit different story. So yeah, we'll see how that continues to develop. We'll shift over to the defending world champions, two time, two time, two time, the 
Warriors are well, they were in a little bit of a tailspin. They 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 got a dramatic win over the Sacramento Kings, who are quite a story right now in this bizarro world of the NBA that we're kind of going through in this first first quarter of the what? season. Which has been refreshing, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Um, we had an issue between Kevin Durant and Draymond Green in a game that they lost to the Clippers. Where yeah. uh, coming down in the last minutes of the fourth quarter, of course, everybody knows Draymond did not give the ball up to anyone, including Dude, Kevin channels, Durant, who was channels his inner Carlton. I remember. That. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, he he kicked the ball away, and uh, they called a turnover, and that ba- basically led to an overtime loss to by the Warriors. And uh, during that timeout, in between, you know, the overtime and uh, regulation, in the regulation. Uh, Durant and Draymond got into some heated words on the bench, and uh, that led to Draymond getting suspended by the team. Um, that led to, you know, a lot of speculation about, you know, Kevin Durant's future, and then that sent the actual Warriors into a tailspin because the game before this, Steph Curry, uh, who was having an MVP-type season, injured his groin, and uh, he's been out for the past two weeks or so. And so... The injuries, the you know discontent in the locker room, and the Warriors did something they hadn't done in almost like five years now. They lost four games in a row. So, do you think this is something that's going to, you know, stick with them as far as this locker room stuff, or you think that was just an isolated incident and they can kind of smooth it out? And once Steph comes back, everything will be. You know, back in working order. Um, I think when Steph does come back, it will it will be okay. However, right now, you know, you still gotta wonder if uh, I mean Durant and uh, Draymond are they gonna still are they still gonna be you know civil towards one another? And you know, when the mission is to get another. Another ring, the you know they check their egos. They're going to check their egos at the door. And I think that's one thing uh, Steph is good for. He can uh, keep the peace between the two, and you know whatever happens after that is out of whatever happens that happens after that. Um, I don't. I don't think I don't think the Warriors are going to just come out and win sixty something straight games, um, you know. However, when they get you know their full uh, complement of players, they're going to have a nice little dominant run, and and then um, everything should be all right from there. All right, all right. Now we've talked about the kind of upside down nature of the uh, NBA season so far. So let me read you the first five teams in the Eastern Conference. Right now we have Toronto, number one, Milwaukee, number two, Philadelphia, number three, Detroit, number four, and the Pacers, number five. Now you would think to hear Boston somewhere in there, but they're actually at number seven. At ten and ten, just playing five hundred ball. So, Dwayne, I know that you're really in tune to the Celtics. 
What's going on with Boston, man? Well, sort of, uh, I think the expectations are kind of weighing on them a lot. And they're not playing an efficient offensive game. Uh, one could say it's it's uh, probably something more mental than anything. I think I think Jason Tatum hasn't performed as well as he had all of you know last year after Gordon Hayward came out, who himself has went back to decided to go come off the bench, and uh, even then, it's still. Hasn't been as good of a start as it could be. Um, There's another issue with the goaltending, I would say, as as well as the defense. Um, With the the, uh, Celtics, too. I I don't say goaltending. I meant, like, um, the defensive side of things. And with the defensive side of things, they, you know, they're still among the league leaders in defense. However, you know, they're not making smart decisions down the stretch, which allows opponents to stay in the game and engage. And, you know, a lot of teams are trying to come at their boss's head because they were picked by many to win these. And then it's... It's a situation where every game now, you know, from this quarter on, has to be a must-win situation. And, you know, everybody's going to have to do their part in uh, making sure they're not, um, what's the word I'm looking for, not overwhelmed. Not frustrated yeah, because everybody's trying yeah. to do too much to pull them out of the malaise instead of just working together as a team to exactly do it together. I got you exactly. So I think once they can get it together, I think this wouldn't be as bad if Toronto wasn't off to such a great start, and also if Philly wasn't doing as well as they were as they are right now. You take away. I think the surprise that everybody's really looking at is Milwaukee, how they got a coach, and uh, man, they're really taking off. They're ten and two at home. Yes, new new arena, new building, new energy. Uh, You know, the deer need to be feared right now in Milwaukee. So, um, I I, doesn't surprise me um, when uh, Mike Budenholzer has something to work with. He can actually get. He actually is a very good coach. Look at the first years of his time in Atlanta when he had um, great pieces to work with, and the Hawks had that success when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Man, and um, the Bucks are putting up some. They had they hit one thirty five on somebody the other night. Like, they did. Gracious. They did, and. Giannis, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo has been playing lights out, MVP like uh, numbers. So it's uh, definitely, definitely something to see. All right, let's switch over to the West. Let's give uh, the Western Conference some love. Let's particularly give the Los Angeles Clippers some love. They're the best <laughs> team in the West right now. Um, 
they play one less game than Golden State. They're thirteen and six. Uh, Golden State is second, even with their four game losing streak. And then you've got Denver, Memphis, OKC, Portland, the Lakers, and New Orleans. So missing, you don't see Houston, you don't see San Antonio, some of the usual suspects that we're come accustomed to in the Western Conference. So uh, talk about, you know, the Clippers. We, we kind of knew Denver was going to be a player this year coming into the season. A lot of people had them, you know, kind of on the radar this year. But let's talk about the Clippers in Memphis because I don't think a lot of people thought that Memphis was going to uh, J.B. Bickerstaff I, coming in uh, and, and they didn't, you know, didn't know what they were going yeah. to be, but they're yeah. one of the best I, teams in the West right now. I'm definitely glad you brought up the Grizzlies along with the Clippers because – Let's let's give Doc Rivers a lot of credit because he made some moves he got rid of. He, I mean, we thought when Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan all left Los Angeles, the Clippers are going to go back to being the Clippers that we've all known them to be. But uh, with Steve Ballmer's backing, with Doc Rivers making wise moves in the front office and his coaching, the Clippers have definitely responded to that. Uh, Tobias Harris has been great. Um, Marcin Gortat has revived. He's not in that black hole in Washington anymore. And this is a great team that is um, being put out. And, you know, they're still, at the moment, they're still better than the Lakers who have, a lot more stars down. Um, you know, or y'all thought the Lakers were going to adopt. Most people thought the Lakers were going to be better than what they are right now. So, um, a lot of a lot of things are gelling for the Clippers right now. As long as they stay healthy, as long as they stay engaged uh, with uh, what Doc is preaching out there, this team could uh, remain remain up there. Um, you know, trying to fight for home court in the Western Conference. And meanwhile in Memphis, then, you know, let's let's say this with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies had so many injuries last year, and it showed. You know, you didn't have Mike Conley, you didn't have Marcus Saul, you didn't have you didn't have um a lot you didn't have a Chandler Parsons, you didn't have a lot of players that are supposed to have been there for this uh, Grizzlies team that are back healthy. Mike Conley's playing lights out. Um, Marcus Saul has been effective. Um, and Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, they're the, the fourth pick in the draft this year. He's made a lot of good strides as well. And, you know, with the new, with the new look, you know, I like the new, the new look the Grizzlies have uniform-wise. Um, and... The build, like they've they've invested like a lot of like Robert Perry has actually done a good job investing into this team, like you know they're grinding very hard and and uh, they're living back up to that grit and grind mentality that they uh, that they have developed there and. And uh, J.B. Vickers' staff has done a great job uh, with this team and uh, very interested to see, as long as they stay healthy, how far if they can make that return to the playoffs as well. 
Yeah, it'll be very fun to uh, check out the Western Conference this year. Um, you know, we all think that Golden State's going to get their stuff together. But after that, it's wide open. So we'll see how the order, you know, reshuffles up and what the, you know, standings start to look like around the All-Star break. Um, you know, most people won't really start paying attention until later in December, Christmas, when, you know, the NBA becomes, you know, really a focus on people's radar. So, you know, teams are jockeying to get in position to be relevant, you know, through that point in time. So it's going to be a fun NBA season, I think. Absolutely. And uh, League Pass has been a very great investment. I will say that. (laughs) You know what's also a great investment, Dwayne? Supporting the CSPN and going to CSPN.us, clicking on the tab that says Keep Our Podcast Free, clicking on the Amazon link, and do that last, you know, last minute, deal shopping for cyber monday or you know whatever tuesday they're gonna have something up tomorrow because you know it's all about selling 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 this week so do your shopping as you normally would and help out the cspn as some of your purchase will come back to us to help keep all the podcasts especially know the score free each and every week so please amazon.com through cspn.us do it today all right now it's time to talk about the National Football League. We're going to start with a topic that I'm not really too thrilled to be talking about and discussing right off the top. Uh, I'll be feeling the same in a few minutes. I get it. But the uh, last time we did this show, uh, the Washington football team was in uh, first place all alone. They'd won like three games in a row. They were looking pretty sporty. And then the injuries have happened. To offensive linemen, the quarterback, unfortunately, um, and some very eerie, bizarre type, you know, once in a lifetime numerology type stuff. Alex Smith suffers the same injury as Joe Theismann on the very same day. Uh, the 33. very yeah, 33 years to the day. Alex Smith is 33 years old. The score was the same score. The Redskins won that game. And it happened on the same part of the field, the same yard line as well. So just all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, so they lost that game to Houston. And then the Washington football team had to travel down to their arch rivals, the Dallas Cowboys. And the Cowboys, they move into a tie for first place after their third win in a row, uh, 31 to 23 with the help of backup quarterback Colt McCoy of the Washington football team, giving them three interceptions and scoring 21 points in about an eight minute stretch. Uh, Dallas took a close game, blew it open. Washington fought back, but ran out of time and uh, got on the wrong side of some flags from the refs on some calls that could have kind of extended their, their comeback. But uh, give uh, all you know respect to the Cowboys. We thought they were dead when they lost to Tennessee in a game that they probably should have won. They left nothing. Tennessee came back on them. Uh, we pretty much thought they were over, but then they decided to give the ball to Zeke and throw it to Amari Cooper exclusively, and uh, they've won three in a row and uh, really exposed the Washington defense for their lack of speed uh, in the secondary and linebacker positions. Amari um, Cooper with two back-breaking catching runs. Uh, that Prescott was scrambled uh, through the whole defense touchdown. Just really, ugh, really spoiled my Thanksgiving. I was having a pretty good day until about 6 o'clock that night. So, 
Um, you know, talk about Dallas uh, getting Amari Cooper. They paid a hefty price. Uh, he started slow. But hearing these last two wins, he's really come on, especially in this game against Washington. Yeah, this was uh, this was a situation where Dallas had him pull the trigger and make a move, and they made the right move. They they were willing to pay the pay the price to uh, get the season jump started, and and now you got a playmaker, Amari Cooper. Dak has somebody he could rely on a lot more. Um, somebody that will. Get get the ball, move the ball, and um, allow the Cowboys also to also make sure they keep the ball running and the running game going. I should say, um, and so now with the um, with that being said, you know the offense is taking off again. Uh, the defense is responding as well. And three straight wins later, you have, uh, you have a race down the NFC East. It looked like Washington was in control. They were in control because the Eagles were struggling, the Cowboys struggling. And, you know, ever since the boat picture, the Giants have been the same. So we know that's pretty much not even <laughs> – uh, anything to talk about. Um, but now, you know, Dallas and Washington tie for first. Cowboys got the tiebreaker there, as well as the Eagles, who are a game out. So nothing is. Here's, nothing is, uh, here's the pending situation that's probably the highest probability that's going to be possible. Dallas is going to get shredded by the Saints on Thursday night. And then Washington plays Philly on Monday night. And you know the Washington track record on primetime games, especially Monday night football. So on Tuesday morning, you could be looking at three teams at 6-6. and with Washington leaking all of the oil because that will be three losses in a row and then it will be going from can we make the playoffs to Jay Gruden about to get fired. And so this when you're a fan of a team that doesn't really win a lot, you realize that man, if you can get through October and most of November with no injuries and a pretty good record when you get to December or around Thanksgiving, every game you play is like the biggest game you, you, you play. Like, oh, this game was big last week. Last week's game was big against Houston. But the game against Dallas was even bigger because it was like, here's the team that's right behind us. We need to beat them to kind of get our two-game lead back. Okay, that didn't work out. But now we play Philly. So this game was even bigger than last week's game because now we can get back on track. And if we need to, keep pace. But more than likely, we may be back in the lead by ourselves. So – it's going to be a difficult little proposition for Washington going forward. I mean, Alex Smith wasn't busting a great, but he wasn't turning the ball over. And that was allowing Washington to play defense and use your special teams. And Colt McCoy is going to turn the ball over. Yeah. Well, there is a quarterback sitting and waiting. That, ain't, we know. that ain't happening. But we know. Yeah. 
Oh, they're not going to pull the trigger. Just saying. They picked up Mark Sanchez because they had to have a quarterback because they only carry two. So that lets you know that, yeah, that that wasn't happening. But, oh, well. And I don't think Mark Sanchez was going to be an embarrassing Colt McCoy, to be honest. The thing that could help Colt McCoy is, A, he's been in the offense for four and a half seasons, and – he basically played that game with no live practice. He he had some walkthroughs and some mental stuff, but he didn't actually throw to anybody or, you know, you know, move around actively and have a week of full practice. So coming into this Philly game, we'll have a week of full practice. He have played in the game, so hopefully we'll get a better performance and a, a winning performance as I root openly here on my podcast for the Washington football team. Um, <laughs> we'll move up <laughs> I-95 a little bit farther to Baltimore, where due to injury, Lamar Jackson has had to start the last two games, and he's won the last two games as he beat the Ravens this past weekend, 34-17. to um, He had a lot of help from his friends. He got Terrell Suggs, had a fumble recovery. They had a punt return. Um, his running game was really good. Um, you know, he threw around less than 20 passes, completed about 50, 50 to 55% of them, uh, ran around again for, you know, um, close to a hundred yards. So, you know, they're managing the game with him and, uh, using their defense to kind of, you know, wear teams down, you know, and then they can kind of, you know, pull away in the fourth quarter. So Baltimore is going to have a real conundrum coming up because it looks like Flacco may be well enough to play this upcoming week, but they're on a hot streak with Lamar Jackson. So Dwayne, you're John Harbaugh. What do you do this week? Well, yeah, this is a conundrum because Lamar Jackson's won the last two games. He's pretty much got you back in the playoff race. And you don't want to shatter his confidence by saying, hey, we're going back to the veteran. Um, so I would probably stick with the rookie, stick with the hot hand. And, I mean, this was going to happen eventually. I mean, either Joe Flacco's going to get hurt and he's going to take over, or Joe Flacco's going to be bad and he just is going to take over anyway. Either way, either way, the... The um, Ravens have won uh, these two games, and either way, uh, Lamar Jackson is going to be starting anyway because uh, I think Joe Flacco was just too inconsistent anyway. So I would just continue to run the run the hot hand and see how it goes from there. All right. Speaking of a hot hand. Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. They keep their playoff hopes alive with a 30-27 to win over the Wayne's Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Panthers and Seahawks, they match up very well against each other. All of their games that they've played since Cam Newton and Russell Wilson have been the quarterbacks of these teams have come down to the last minute, last drive, last second. So this game was no different. Carolina was lining up for a long field goal uh, with about a minute and some change left. Graham Gnome, your coach is weird. But anyway, um, 
he'll try to go for the two at on the road in a game that they probably should just go ahead and kick and play it out. I, I, I actually didn't. I was not mad at that decision at all. You're on the road, try to steal a win on the road. In the game, Cam you playing well. So yeah, I can see. Him, I, I can understand the logic of let's just get the hell out of here because you know our field goal kicker's been awful. <laughs> you know we probably shouldn't exactly. even be in this you know position. So let's just go ahead and get yeah. it and go. Exactly, and then Cam shouldn't have ran the ball in because he had all day long. Or he on did that the, play. Or he did the one thing. I've been watching Cam a lot this year. He did the one thing that he hasn't really done a lot this season. Where when he does have that time like that, and he's scanning, he's scanning. He drew off his back foot a lot of times this season. He's actually been resetting his feet and stepping and throwing. If he would have just stepped and threw the ball, he would have hit that dude right in the chest, and you would have got a two point conversion and beat Detroit. Yeah. Right, exactly, and so those were the two things in that game. Because there's a couple times where he was wide open, and he could have done exactly those two things we said: either ran or reset the feet, and he would have been good. He would have been golden. But uh, Gano's been off the last. He was off in Detroit, which I did had I had zero problem with Rivera. Saying go for two. Devin Funches didn't help anything by dropping five passes. Um, but to this game here against Seattle, uh, Gano channeled in his inner Florida State Seminole, and he went wide right. Uh, Cornelder, who gave up that touchdown in the fourth that tied the game for Seattle, all he had to do was turn around. One time, just take a look, turn around. But he did not, and that just shows how much of an impact that Dante Jackson has had on this team. Even as a rookie, he went out with a quad injury in the first quarter, and he did not return. And that put Cornell there, and Russell Wilson picked him apart. Another, another, um, that. When uh, Wilson hit Tyler Lockett to set up that field goal, um, Captain Motorland was out of play, and I think Cornell there was was another reason why. Because I don't know what happened in the coverage, but there's no reason why Tyler Lockett should have been that wide open. And and yeah, so now my thing is, and I wrote this early this morning when I was having all these thoughts in my head. Sometimes I have these thoughts, and and um, I think the Saints got into the Panthers' heads. Honestly, I think Carolina started getting caught up with what New Orleans was doing, even when they were just a game behind. And as a result, the Saints got into their heads. The Panthers got demolished at Pittsburgh. They lost the game they should have won against Detroit on the road, and they lost the game that they should have won at home against Seattle. So it's now down to, you know, Carolina has traditionally done well in December since John Rivera has been head coach. They are 23-9 and in the month of December under Rivera and uh, Cam Newton. So we're going to have to see if they can channel the, that, that uh, December – 
December Magic is going to be hard to go five and zero or even four and one to get that ten win season because they got the Saints twice in three weeks, one on Monday night where they don't do well in primetime games. We already seen that, and then they got the last game of the season at New Orleans. And now they're behind the eight ball because they lost to Washington. And now they lost to Seattle. And they are now on the outside looking in because Washington has the sixth spot. Seattle has the seventh spot. Carolina sitting eighth because of the tiebreakers. This would set up, if the playoffs started today, another Dallas and Washington game in Dallas. If we could oh, somehow. No. If we could somehow move, because we we're, we're sixth, right, and Seattle's five, right? Seattle, Minnesota's five. Oh yeah, so we're still not in there yet. No, actually, no. Washington has a tiebreaker over okay. Seattle. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we would we would still have to because uh, the Bears have a better record than uh, Dallas, right? Right. So yeah. it'd be Washington and Chicago, and Minnesota and Dallas. Yeah. Washington and Chicago, that would not be a good matchup for the Washington football team. That would be bad. We need to somehow figure out a way to go play Dallas again. And then there could be a possibility we could win still a game. But, yeah, we would get rolled in Chicago just because their defensive line would hurt with with maim our our patchwork new offensive line. Yeah. Speaking of the Saints, you brought them up. Uh, they continue to roll with a Thanksgiving night win over Atlanta, 31-17. So they basically put Atlanta out of their misery. Atlanta's been kind of hanging around, but that game pretty much knocked them out of all, you know, talk about playoffs for this year. Um, Saints are just uh, one of these teams where, you know, if you can't score, then, you know, <laughs> good luck after the first quarter. Because if, if they make you punt once, you know, that's a seven points. If they make you punt twice, that's 14 if they make it right. three times, then, you know, warm up the bus. And my – and I just think that, you know, they're, the defense is good, but teams can score on the defense. They just – I don't know what it is. If when you play from ahead, though, and, you know, especially at home, if they, if they get out in front of you in the first quarter is 17-3 to three, and you kind of don't stick with your running game – then yeah, you're you're lunch because once you start going three and out, man, they finna take the ball like they did against Philly. And then every time you look up, it's like four plays, they in the red zone. Five plays, they in the red zone. Like dang, Philly just had the ball. Three plays, giving it back up. They run seven plays, they score a touchdown. Like you know, and that's like over and over and over again. It's not like you know one team. You know some teams are like. Good in the first quarter, suck in the second quarter, okay after halftime, and then like late in the fourth quarter, they're good. Nah, the Saints are good like through the whole game. But part of me just feels like, you know, and I might get, might get eaten for this by Saints fans, but part of me just feels like they're going to choke at some point. And it's, it's going to, it's going to, and they're going to choke at the wrong time, usually like in the playoffs. I mean, if they're at home, that'll be one thing, but. I just feel like there's going to be that one game where they're going to have a bad game. Yeah. And it's a wrap. That's the way that they would lose is if, 
I don't necessarily see Drew Brees throwing a lot of interceptions, but if they had a game where, um, you know, he gets stripped, sacked, or they fumble twice or something like that, or they miss some field goals, yeah, yeah, it's going to be something that they inflict upon themselves to while they lose. I don't think anybody's going to just come out here and just beat them and where they score like 17 points or something. Right. You know? Right. So. But, yeah. But it's a juggernaut out there. I think that the, I think the Rams will love to get another shot at them. So we'll uh, talk about one more thing here, Dwayne. We'll talk about the Chiefs and the Rams game from last Monday night that oh, ended man. up being the uh, highest scoring game on Monday Night Football ever, 54-51 in regulation, no overtime. Um, some people thought that it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. Some people thought it was too much offense and were clamoring for some semblance of defense. Uh, some people were just like mind blown and didn't know what to say after the game. What was your take, sir? I was just, I just thought it was a seven on seven. I mean, <laughs> there was no reason why you needed four extra bodies because of all the points that were being put up. But, um, one thing I did notice, though, is um, Patrick Mahomes has a tendency of not throwing the ball away. He'll actually throw a YOLO throw and try to force something to happen. And and um, that's probably one way you can beat this kid is if you try to make him force – if you try to force him into a throw that he does not want to make or if he tries to force the issue, he's going to turn the ball over. Um, as impressive as he was with his yards and everything and the touchdowns, he had three interceptions, two of them in garbage time when he was trying to make something happen. Um, but this game was just, this game was just loaded uh, with offense. I I was kind of just I was flipping back and forth between uh, uh, Raw and the game, and I was like. Yo, like they're gonna be any kind of defense, and you know I've seen some people say, you know, how's the Super Bowl gonna top this? Uh, Whether this was actually the Super Bowl, blah blah blah. But uh, you know, we shall. I don't know what's gonna happen um, come February third in Atlanta, but um, we're just gonna have to just see how things. Uh, wind up and but this was a weird game this was a fun game to watch a fun game to be a part of social media on and I, I really enjoyed you know the effort from both teams in this game I know defensive coordinators have their heavy pulling their hair out trying to stop them but you know sometimes you know the offenses are just clicking and both offenses were uh, you just got to tip your hat to uh, those offensive coordinators making it happen. The happiest person who had to be watching that game had to be Will Greer because he's like, yes, two air raid quarterbacks putting up these numbers. That means that I'm the premier air raid quarterback in college football. Somebody's going to draft me in the first round because they're going to try to replicate that type of scheme in that system because I think – it took, what's this, 2018, it took six years 
for somebody else to come in. Robert and Kaepernick did it with the running part of the spread. Like, oh, this read option stuff can work in the NFL if you use it judiciously and in the right places and in the right down the distance. Oh, it does make the defense have to, you know, really work and prepare for one more thing. But, you know, everybody's still so afraid of the quarterback getting hurt. But Patrick Mahomes has proved that the passing part of this, where you just stand in the shotgun, run out of the shotgun, spread the field all the way from the sideline to sideline, and make it a one-on-one read where, you know, even if they play zone, it's going to be somebody that's going to be out there one-on-one. And, you know, it's just a simple one read. If it's not there, then you go to his check down. It's really simple football, but, you know, Andy Reid puts all that window dressing on it and makes it look very complex. But but right. I, I think that that's finally going to be because a guy like Andy Reid has finally adopted it. It's going to finally usher in the college, you know, more college type offense, which allows more guys in college now to be able to play. Yeah, and and uh, not only will it benefit uh, Will Greer and me, we're gonna be eventually we're gonna be looking at teams that are gonna need a starting quarterback. I mean, the Giants are gonna be looking for one. Um, the Jaguars are gonna need one, considering how badly they've slid. I mean, they're going to turn to Cody Kessler next week, and and um, they their offensive coordinator. Right, and Blake Bortles is finally going to the bench where he should have been a long time ago. Um, that's really all. That's really all I have in regards to that. Like the, it's gonna be up to. It's gonna be up to. Uh, up to whoever, whatever direction they want to go, and on the offensive end. Um, and then, um, we'll just see how they go from this point moving forward. All right. One last thing we'll uh, touch on before we, uh, give, uh, turn it over to the shout outs and thank yous to Wayne. Run through some college basketball notes right quick. Gonzaga, they defeated the almighty Duke Blue Devils to win the Maui Invitational. Gonzaga was number three coming into the game in the nation. Duke, of course, number one with the, you know, all-star, all-world, stellar class, best team ever, you know, type height. But Gonzaga hung an L on them, and they are the new number one. Texas, they got upset. Uh, excuse me, Texas upset North Carolina out in Vegas and uh, that invitational. And your Kansas Jayhawks pulled out a tight one over Tennessee, a game they probably should have lost. But, uh, you know, they, they made the good plays down the stretch. Tennessee didn't, and Kansas pulled it out. Yeah, this – yeah, Duke and well, – let's first Duke and Gonzaga. I figured – I figured when I saw this Maui Invitational bracket that uh, these two would um, be on a collision course with each other. And I thought, oh, well, it's ranked – it's highly ranked Gonzaga. This is going to probably be Duke's so. – best test of the season. I mean, let's face it, Kentucky wasn't a test. I mean, they were pretty much uh, it was pretty much men against boys. Live action practice is what I call that. Right. And so and so the um, 
when I saw Gonzaga, a team that's more experienced, a lot older, that have been together for uh, quite some time. And I knew they would be able to, you know, make these boys work. And it wasn't going to, this was actually, this was Duke's uh, first true test of the season. And for a while, Gonzaga showed like their dominance. <laughs> like they were up, they were pretty big early in the second half before Duke used this athleticism, athleticism to get back in the game and make it close towards the end. But um, I was surprised with um, Texas upsetting North Carolina. I did not see that one coming. Uh, big win for Shaka Smart. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be one of his make or break years right here. I think a lot of people have the Longhorns going second in the Big 12 or third in the Big 12 behind. They're going to be right there with Kansas State uh, behind, obviously, Kansas um, for the Big 12 title. Um, Kansas, yeah, this is a team that has shown – they can win um, in many different ways. They can either win um, comfortably or they can win ugly. This game against Tennessee, which I've viewed as a very, very good test for them. Uh, only due to the fact that Tennessee is bringing back, they brought back the same squad. Nobody left for the draft. Um, you know, there's really a lot more addition and subtraction with all the stars. Um, still being together. And shout out to those boys and obviously for the great win. Um, great wins in the NIT tournament. And uh, this is going to be a good team going forward. Should be definitely definitely challenging for the SEC crown once again. So credit where it's due. Shout out to the volunteers. All right, man. So that's a wrap as far as getting everybody updated on, you know, what's been taking place. Recently, in the last couple of weeks in the sports world, I'm pretty sure we left some things out. Um, Le'Veon Bell didn't report, so he's a free agent. And uh, me and my buddy at work, we were trying to figure out, like, where he would go in the free agent market. And you start kind of looking around, deducing the teams. It's not a lot of teams right now, as you would think, that are in the market for a running back. I'm thinking, like, the Packers might try to make a run at him. I would say Indy, but... It looks like, you know, they're kind of going to stick with their young core. They got three guys that, you know, they're pretty happy with right now. Uh, um, You know, uh, who else did we say? Um, that's really, if you start going through the, the, you know, the different divisions, there's not a lot of teams that really need a running back. No, not at all. I mean, the Panthers released C.J. Anderson, so that shows you. But they got McCaffrey, uh, though, so I don't, I don't yeah, think that that's exactly what I was about to say. Spend the money to, to get yeah, him. Maybe the Bucks would be in the market, but I think yeah. they really like Philip Barber, though. Yeah. Because here's uh, here's what's going to – I know we're outside of the NFL and we're kind of just rambling here, but um, here's the thing, though. It's going to be hard for him – to get the money he wants on any team, especially a team that's really good. If, right. if he wants to get Todd Gurley where he's anywhere between 15 to 19 million a season. And right. even if he goes to a bad team, 
you know what I'm saying, it's, they're going to be a bad team for a while because they're paying him so much. Like, the Jets may be a player. The Jets may decide they want to get a running back to go with Darnold, you know, premier running back. But, I mean, it's it's really only like two or three real legitimate places that are like, you know, starving for a running back that may be in the sweepstakes. So, it's going to be real interesting to see how that plays out in March once that uh, free agency period opens for him. Oh, exactly. And, and um, yeah, and I was just like you said, like when you were on down the divisions, I was going down doing the same thing, just thinking off the top of my head. And, you know, the NFC West is out. The NFC South is out. The, the uh, East is out. I mean, you could probably say Philadelphia because uh, they really don't have a premier running back. Uh, Philly would be. I mean, you don't have to worry about anything in um, Minnesota or um, Chicago, uh, things of that sort. Um, yeah, there's really nothing much. There's really nothing much if you really take a take a look and just really look at the teams there and yeah it's gonna be good luck lately i'm trying to get something like denver denver might have been a player but now that Lindsay's actually proven he's good they're out and then you got la chargers it's gordon and eckler that's out and yeah, that's it. So yeah, he could be he could be really looking at a really a much he probably could be looking at around a about a might have him to take like a fourteen million dollar deal, right? Which, which would be like two million more than he would have made if he played for the franchise, but probably about five million less than he would actually want to play for, right? Unless he's just like, hey, I don't like none of this, and I'm just retired. And you know who says he wouldn't do that? He was, you know. He, nobody thought he'd sit the whole season out, and he did, so. Yeah. So, this is going to be a very interesting offseason to see who, uh, see what roster turnovers, what moves are made, and who will have the space that will bring Le'Veon over to their respective teams. So, Dwayne, I open it up to you, man, for your shout outs, final thoughts, uh, you know, ending comments. Uh, shout outs to shout outs to our, our uh, CSPN family. Shout out to all the hosts, the panelists who come in, all of our guests that come to our shows. Uh, also, shout out to Jesse Tobias, as always. Shout out to you, Don. Uh, good to be back. And also, shout out to my family that stays listening as well. So I definitely appreciate the love there. Uh, my final thought was seven overtimes, Texas A&M and LSU. Um, even though there was some, uh, well, not some, there was controversy. Kabuki. The overtime period. Very kabuki Yes. So, um it, it was really a wild game. Had everything in terms of the drama, in terms of the back and forth. Um, the fifth game in college football history that's gone to seven overtimes. There's never been an eighth uh, Texas 
Texas A&M 174 72. I first looked at this and thought it was a basketball score. Then I actually looked. I was like, no, no, this is ball. So I'd be sh- I'd be very interested to see if their basketball teams approach a score that that high. We might have to keep an eye on that when they play each other this season. And I think a lot. I think many people will keep an eye on that too. So. Uh, definitely, definitely a good idea to check that out. So, um, so yeah, but this was a uh, definitely a wild, a wild game. Had everything. Um, final so that it was just so, it was just so crazy, and I'll just you know leave it at that. Uh, oh yeah, shout out to uh, North Carolina A&T for making the celebration bowl for the third time. Uh, they made it last year, and they won. They made it two years ago. They won that one. Um, of course, the only other media representative was North Carolina Central, and they lost because of excess of celebration penalty. So, um, we just can't, pass up a, just can't pass up an opportunity to rub it in, can you? Wouldn't be a rival. Wouldn't be a rival if he didn't take the opportunities to rub it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but so AT uh winning the winner of the SWAC title game, uh Southwest Athletic Conference title game between Southern and Alcorn State. Um and he beat Alcorn State in the first celebration bowl. Uh, so I'm going to try to get there for the first time. So we shall see what happens. All right. Thank you, Dwayne. I'd like to give a shout out to you for joining me. I'd like to give a shout out to everybody who listens to Nunda Score. Thank you for bearing with us during this little break. But we're back. Hopefully we'll be um, much more consistent you know, heading into the playoffs and, you know, NBA season really getting t- turned up. I'd just like to give a shout out to everybody here on the CSPN. Give a shout out to Jesse and Tobias all the listeners, all the podcast hosts. Uh, my final thought will be uh, congratulations to Joey Logano, who became this year's NASCAR series uh, champion. He won the final race in Homestead, Miami, to become the champion. Uh, a guy who came into the sport with a lot of expectations at 20 years old. Uh, Mark Martin said he was so good and so pure. He was the best thing since sliced bread. And uh, he had a lot of expectations and probably too big of a, a expectation the spotlight put on him. Uh, he kind of flamed out when he was uh, driving for Joe Gibbs. Uh, he moved on at the end of his contract to Penske. And uh, he's found a lot more success. And he found ultimate success this past season uh, where he won the championship a couple of weeks ago. So shout out to Joey Logano for you know reaching his full potential. He's uh, 27 years old. He's a veteran in the sport. And he's got a NASCAR championship. So you know, a lot of pressure. I'm pretty sure it's off of him personally, professionally, and I look forward to big things going forward from him. He should win a lot more races and just be a lot more confident in the way that he approaches things going forward. You know, when you get championship rings, there's a lot that, you know, comes with that as far as, you know, your personality and how you carry yourself and, and you know, your your swag and what you can do. So I'm looking forward to Joe Logano being, you know, an all-time great, Uh, going forward here in NASCAR. So, for my co-host, the Libra Icon, I'm Don DeLaRente, and now you know the score. (laughs) 